So we start a new series today. Now I thought talking about Job and coming into the book of Job, uh, we want to see and, and open up this book and see what lessons we can learn from Job. This man who lived in antiquity, in the old times, it is said of the book of Job that it's the oldest book in the Bible. Uh, scholars don't know who wrote the book of Job. Let me also just say it's not a myth. It's not just a poem about nobody. This is an actual man who lived back in antiquity. And we're going to learn from him. As we open up the book of Job, there are many things that we can learn. But let me first ask you. I mean, a lot of us sit in this place this morning. You've heard sermon upon sermon of Job and all of these things. What, if you think of Job, what is the first thing that comes up into your mind? Anyone? Man of God, yes. We're going to see that. We're going to see he's a man of God. The patience of Job, yes. Who, who knows about patience of Job? Yep. What else? Hard times. He had very hard times. We're going to see that as well. Do you know? Hard times. He had very hard times. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. So... We see that he's a man who went through difficult times. He was patient. He had hard times. He stayed faithful. What else? Innocent. Yes. There in the very first chapter of the book, he says he was blameless. Perfect. A perfect man. So what is the lessons? These are all sermons that you've heard. The lessons out of it. Fear of God. Yes. Fear of God. This is a man who had fear of God. This is also a lesson we can learn from it. What else? Is that, is that list ex- exhausted now? Hey? A blessed man. Yes. Yes, absolutely. More. Endureth. He prayed for his children. Oh, I tell you what, since he has read this whole book before I preached it. <laughs> I think I need to get Cincy up here to come and preach it. Well done, my sister. He prayed for his children. Should we pray for our children? We're going to see all of that. I've heard those, those messages about it. So, uh, you, you can say it, yep. Yes, he was, he was anxious about his children. He prayed for them. And what did he do? Spiritual. Now that's good. That's good. That's what I've asked. Yeah, but how did he do it? Yeah, following set of rules. But how did he do it for his children? Now that's right. I love the fact that you brought that up, Jensi. He sacrificed. He sacrificed every day for his children. So these are all of the lessons that I've heard about Job, yes? We are going to look today at part one, two worlds. Two worlds. Who knows that there's two worlds? There's this physical world that we can see, we can feel, we can touch, we can smell. This is the physical world. And then there's another world. There is a heavenly world. If you look through the book when, uh, of Corinthians, Second uh, Corinthians, you will find that Paul talks about a man who was caught up. That man was he himself, but he speaks in the third person, caught up into the third heaven. And let me just correct something. There's not seven heavens. There's only three heavens. He says, I know of a man who was caught up into the third heaven. And, and the first heaven that you see is this heaven where the clouds and the winds are blowing outside, where the birds are flying in, where the airplanes are flying in. Praise the Lord for aviation that they can fly. 30,000 uh, of ton can fly and float in this air here. It's important that you understand this air. And then you look at the stars and the moon. That's the second heaven. That is where we see all of these beautiful things that uh, the Lord has created for us. That's the universe. And then there's a third heaven. That is where God is. 
the third heaven which we can't see with our eyes. It is beyond our, our capacity to even imagine what I'm saying right here. We see this heavens above us and we, we marvel at it. We look at the clouds. We look at the formations. We look at everything and we get excited about it. That God created it so meticulously, so beautifully. And we look at it and we say, wow. But then we look into a telescope beyond that. And that even goes wider than our imagination. We see galaxies and we see stars and and it's too beautiful for your eyes to comprehend. But wait for the day that we see the third heaven. When Paul writes about these things, he says, it is inexpressible. That's what it is. You can't find anything on the face of the earth to describe what Paul saw. Every time when we find an encounter with the heavenlies, I'm talking behind the second heaven, every time mankind has got an encounter about that, the only limitations that we have is what we can comprehend. This is why when you read in the book of Revelation, you find all of these symbols. It is things that John saw, and the only thing that he can do is he can bring it down to our level and try to explain to us what he saw. Think for yourself. Go back 2,000 years in a time warp. And they tried to explain to people then an Apple iPhone. What are you going to do? How are you going to explain that to their day and age? It looks like what? All you can say it's inexpressible. I can't explain it to you. But it's there. Friends, we live in this world. We've got two worlds we're going to see here in the book of Job. We're going to get a glimpse into heaven. But we're only going to see what God allows us to see. Who knows what's written in Deuteronomy chapter 29 verse 29? Who knows that? It says that the secret things of God, the Dios obscanditos, belongs to God. And we, we don't dabble into that world. We don't go where we shouldn't go. But then he says, but the revealed things, the revelators, the Dios revelators, the things that He reveals to us, belongs to us and our children and our children's children. How? How do we do that? We, when God reveals something to us, we tell it to whom? To our children and to their children and to their children. I'm doing it today by preaching the Word of God. How wonderful, how marvelous for God to open up His revelation to you and me. This is what He's going to do in the book of Job. Two worlds we're going to see today. We're going to see today things that is outside of man's control, that you can do nothing about. But how you react is important. So, the lessons from the book of Job. What is the purpose of this book? We find... One of the questions that this book is answering is, why the righteous suffer? Why the righteous suffer? We, we get people ask this question over and over again. But they were good people. Why did they have to go through the suffering? They were donating millions and trillions. They were offering up their time. They were there. They were doing everything that was asked of them. Why did they have to suffer like that? You know, we've heard it this morning. You said that Job was a good man. He was a righteous man. We're going to see that in a minute. Why do the righteous suffer? We also see the accusations of Satan. Accusations. The Lord is going to open up heaven a little bit and He's going to show us how the accuser, Lucifer, Satan himself, go and accuses the children, you and me, before Him in heaven. And it's also revealing some things about Job himself, to himself. I'll tell you one thing. You start to know more about yourself when you go through troubled times. I've heard so many times people say, I was absolutely shocked at how I reacted. Is that you? It is me for sure. 
I can tell you today, there's certain times in my life when I reacted in a way and I thought, whoa, I didn't know that was inside of me. Oh, is he walking around with stuff? No, no. It is just human nature how we react in certain things. So oftentimes the Lord allows you to go through difficult times, my dear friend, just to show you to know yourself better. That is why you go through things. You go, wow. You learn more about God in that moment and you learn more about yourself. And then, and then oftentimes in my life, maybe not your life, the Lord after a, a, a time will take you through that same kind of problems just to see whether you have learned from the previous experiences. Yes. And then oftentimes we stand back and say, I should have known better. Who said those words? Who said those words? I've been here before. I should have done it differently. You see how the Lord is just showing you more about yourself? And then what I've always heard about the purpose of this book is also to teach patience. Oh man, we can do with a swag load of patience in this world right now, can't we? Patience, patience. It's not a pay, pay, patent, it's a patience that we need to learn about. But friends, I want to suggest to you that that is not the reason why this book was written. All of the things we heard today was not the reason why Job was written, and it's in our Bible. I want to suggest to you the only reason that Job was written was for the following fact. The main purpose is to teach repentance. It's to teach repentance. God selected the best man who ever lived on the face of this earth except Jesus Christ. Listen clearly to me. He selects this man, Job, who's the best man and showed also that he needed to repent. That is the purpose of this letter, of this book. If you think about it, we usually choose people who was really bad in life. And we say, that's a murderer. He needs to repent. Isn't that right? And when people come up and they testify and stand in front of churches, what do they do? They first tell you how terrible they... I've heard a, a testimony about a man once who nearly killed people. He was so ridden with anger and wrath and everything, it made him ugly. You know what I'm talking about? And we all sat in the church and this man gave his testimony and he says, Oh, but one day the Lord laid his hands upon him and he came to the cross and he testified. And you know what? We all walk out of the church and we say, Wow, what a testimony. Man, that man came from a deep, deep, dark place. He needed to repent. Isn't that right? Testimony after testimony. David, what did he do? He looked at Bathsheba, and we say, yeah, right, David, you're a filthy thinking man. You need to repent. He was wrong, and he need to repent. And so we go on. But we miss the one where we look at people and go, well, they are good people. But did you know that good people also need to repent? Did you know that? Our natural thing is that we come out and say, what is wrong with me? I'm a good man. I'm a good woman. Look at me. I'm doing good things in life. I'm a righteous man. I, l listen, this man, look, look at him. Let's, let's have a first look at this guy. Job chapter 1 verse 1, he says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and he shunned evil. If we put Job here today, he would be the man that every person in the church look up to and say, that is a good Christian. Yes or no? We will say, oh, if I can only be like Job. Isn't that right? 
Here is him in the very first chapter of the book. So I want to suggest to you this morning, it's not about patience. That's, that is coming. That is added. It's not about why the, the righteous suffer. It's not about all of these things. It's about repentance. The whole Bible is written about repentance. Repent and come to Christ. That's what the Bible, that's the gospel. That's what the book is written about. And the same here. We find this in the very first verse of Job. Let's look at the very last, the very last chapter in the book of Job. Job chapter 42. And the very first verse of that chapter says the following. He says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything. Who knows that? And that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You ask, Who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. Wait a minute. This is a man who was blameless. He was upright. He feared God. But here he says, he says he uttered things which he did not understand. Things too wonderful, too wonderful for me. You see, he didn't have a clue, but he thought he had. And so did that many churchgoers who looked at him and say, Ooh, if we can only be like Job. And here we find this man, and he says, He's too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Look at this. This is critical for me. Things too wonderful, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. He's, he's shouting it out. He's saying it to God now. He says, listen and let me speak. You said, I will question you and you shall answer me. I have heard you by the hearing of the ear. Listen very carefully, dear brother and sister. Job says, he heard about God. Only heard about God. I want to suggest today that there are thousands and thousands of people who sit even in the churches who looks as if they are good Christians, but they've only heard about God. They haven't experienced God. Come on, we're talking about the righteous man in the book. Here he is, right in front of, I'm looking at your before and after photos of this man. And he says there, I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. That's the key of this whole book. You will not understand the book of Job if you don't understand this. It's not about patience. I've heard so many preachers preaching about Job and it's about patience. It's not about why the just suffer. It is about repentance of a good man. Of a good man. And I'm not going to go verse by verse. We're going to read through the whole book, by the way. Get ready for a lot of reading. I'm going to do the reading. You only have to listen. But we're going to learn. We're going to go through his life and see how the Lord systematically unpacks this man. He packs him out. He, he takes away here a bit so that at the end of the day, Job is laid bare for himself to see himself. Friend, brother, sister, let me tell you one thing today. We need to be open and naked and bare before the Lord. This is what He needs to do with you and me. He needs to take us bit for bit apart so that we lie empty and open before Him and say, Father, oh my Lord in heaven, I have got nothing that I can hide from You. I've got nothing that I can stand in my own strength. I've got no inkling or even a, a little tiny whisper of threat of mind, of knowledge that I can puff myself up before You. Job is a wonderful book. It's also a serious message. It's not just about patience. It is about repentance. Let me tell you, you will not have true patience if you haven't come to the cross of Christ. Because you will operate in your own patience, but not in His. So this is what this book is all about. A man who the world looks upon and they call him blameless. Now let's look at the first scene here. Two worlds. This happens on the earth now. This is a focus, and we see Job, 
and he's going to explain this man to us. And we're going to see him in a controllable situation. There's, if you've got two worlds here, the earth and heaven where God operates, you've also got a controllable thing and an uncontrollable. Because we like to be in control of your lives, don't we? We like it. When I get into a car, I like to sit behind the steering wheel and have my own power on that petrol. So yesterday I took Surya out for a second trip in the a, in a learners, in the L learners. The first one we went out, I said to her, you don't put your foot on the petrol. You're just holding the brake, lift the brake, and the car will just roll and let the car roll. You don't give power at that stage. <laughs> and I'm sitting with my little fingers on the handbrake. <laughs> just added security. <laughs> so the first lesson went very well, very, very well, because we, we went five kilometers an hour. But yesterday I took her out and I said, now we upgrade you, we're going to drive between cars. And I said, now you can put your foot on, on the petrol. By the way, I still had my two fingers on the handbrakes. But you see, the thing is, I wanted to be in control still, although I've given over the steering wheel. And I was still in control. Because just to check it, okay? See, she was building up speed to 20, 25, and I just, just wanted to check if the thing works. And I pulled it, and it went... <laughs> she went, Dad, what are you doing? I said, I'm just checking, okay? I'm, I'm just sitting here checking. I'm multitasking, by the way, as well, because those two fingers can work. My eyes can look there, and I can pray in the back eye to God, please, Lord, protect us. That's what you call multitasking. But we like to be in control of things. That's why when I get onto an airplane, I sit down and I say, Oh, Lord, be with this man in the front there. Oh, Father, because I can't have my hands on steering this airplane. But we often learn in life that there is things that you've got no control over. It just happens. It happens. And we're going to see that here. In Job chapter 1 verse 1, we start this narrative. He says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, and 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household. So that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. He was what? The greatest of all of them. Why? Because of all his possessions. But the Bible says clearly that this man was blameless. Blameless. The King James Version used the word perfect. And you know what? If we look at a man, we like to use this word. We like to use it in the sense of saying, that man is a perfect man, man. He's got everything. That's how we use it in English, isn't it? It doesn't mean he's perfect in everything, but if we look at a man today and we see that he's got possessions, we see he's got a nice family, he's got everything, he's got good friends, we say, man, that's a perfect life. We use that. And that's the same that this word is used here. It's, there's three ways to describe this word in Hebrew. Perfect in light of strength, in light of beauty and wealth. And this is what we say. We often say that. If somebody is like that, we say they lack nothing. They are perfect. I like the King James way of saying this because blameless is a different word for that. Yes, it is also a word that you apply for that. It also means this word that he's a quiet person or an ordinary per person and he's wholesome. That's also a way of describing this word. And thirdly, it is also right to describe it as morally complete. In other words, this man is a man of integrity. That's what the word means there. It did not mean that in his spirit and in his soul he was perfect. As we saw in that last verse. The other thing that's good about this is that he also feared God. He feared God, but I want to suggest now to you at this point in time, now that we've seen the end of the book, that he feared a God that he still didn't know. He didn't know this God, but, but he feared Him. And remember, this man 
came through. He doesn't say, you know, who his father and so on was, but he as a boy growing up must have seen how they sacrificed to God, to the unseen God. This is something that started in the Garden of Eden. Remember when God killed the animal, or the animal had to die for his skin to be given to Adam and Eve. So there was a sacrifice that then flowed from there on and on. That's right. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned, they had these fig leaves, and then the Lord gave them tunics, didn't He? And then from there on, we see that sacrifices started happening through Cain and Abel. What, what was the big problem there? Both of them sacrificed. One sacrifice was accepted and the other's not. And jealousy came in and he killed his brother. So this man feared God and he shunned evil. That means he switched like a switch. Like if I turn these lights off, he switched evil off. And then we read on in verse... Uh, or, or let me just say this first of all. We can say that Job was a good man, can't we? If we look at these verses. He had everything. He was blameless. He feared God. So he was a good man. But friends, the Bible warns us against that. Look at Psalm 14 verse 2. The psalmist write down, he says, The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men. Does that include Job? Yes. Does that include David? Moses, does that include, every, does that include uh, uh, Saul of Tarsus, Paul, Peter, John? Does that include you and me? Yes. He says it right there. He says, the Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see what? If there are any who understand to see God, they all turn aside. They all have together become corrupt. There is none who does good, not one. So we're saying that Job is good, but the Bible says he wasn't good, man. And then he says in Mark chapter 10, verse 17, Now as he, this is Jesus, was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good, but one. That is God. Even Jesus said this when he walked on the earth. So we look at Job as this perfect man, but he wasn't perfect in all sense, was he? But the, the thing here is, Job didn't know it right now. He didn't know that he wasn't perfect. He did a lot of actions which showed he was perfect. And so a lot of people are sitting in churches today who go through a lot of actions. But the Lord knows the heart. And this is what we will see he's going to reveal to Job. In verse 4, he says, And his sons would go and feast in their houses. Now we learn from this that he had adult sons. Yes, they're already out of these house. And each one appointed day and would send to invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did so regularly. He's doing this for his children. And we see here, this is good parenting, isn't it? He's so concerned for his children. But we see that they are adults. And he has no physical reach over them any longer. And mother and father, we need to learn this. We have our children in our houses, and as they grow up, we can influence them. And we need to influence our children in a godly manner while they are young. Do not leave it over for the schools or for the Sunday school. Mom and dad, you need to do that. What, 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 what did you just say? Not Sunday schools? Yes. Sunday schools is here to teach your children, but the first priority of mom and dad is for you to teach your children. For the Bible says in Proverbs that if you teach a child, and you train a child, when he's young, he will continue in those ways. But there comes a day, dear friends, when your children become adults. They reach the age of understanding. And then, the only thing you can do is you can pray for them. This is what Job is doing. It's like me sitting in the car, they're praying for our protection. No. But every day we need to pray for our children. 
this is a wonderful father, I would say. He prays for his children. I wonder if there's so lot of children that I know their parents pray for them, if they do understand that. But he's doing this continually. He's only got one instrument left to influence his children, and that's prayer. And he sacrificed every single day. You see, all of these things is in a controllable situation. Job is in control. He's this man who, who's every single day there. He offers, he sacrifices. I think everybody would look upon this man and go, man, he is a perfect man. Now let's go to another scene and go to the other world. This is happening in heaven now. And it's out of Job's hands. In Job chapter 1 verse 6 he says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro over the earth, and from walking back and forth on it. What do we learn from this? We learn that Satan do have access to heaven. But only, listen to me, but only to give a report of what he's done. So he thinks, and, and a lot of people think he's got so much power. But let me suggest to you, no, no, let me tell you this morning, he's only got delegated power. He can't just do anything he wants to do. He's got to come before the Lord. And he's got to present himself to the Lord. And then he's got to give an account of what he's done. And let me tell you, it's not only in Job's day, it's still today. He's got to present himself to the Lord. I read nowhere in the Bible, and I've searched for it where it said it stopped. He's got to present himself to the Lord. And here are so many people who want to have spiritual warfare. Oh man, we're going to take on the enemy. Well, the devil and Jesus is squaring off against each other for the souls of the world. That is blasphemous, friend. Satan has got nothing against God. He's a created being. He has to report. Now see what he says. He says he's going up and down through the earth. And this is his domain. Now let me just correct something for you. He's never been in hell or Hades. He's never been there. He said, oh, wait a minute. Isn't that where his headquarters is? Isn't that where he rules everything and he, he sits there underneath and all the demons is around him and then from there he sends them all over the world and so on? No. Where do you read that? I'll tell you where you see that. You see that in Hollywood. When they bring up all of these horror movies and they show the pit and these, these things crawling out and they want to peel people down. I don't watch those stuff because it gives me nightmares anyway. I don't watch it. But, you know, they pull this stuff and ah, from down. And because, you know, in the mindset of people, Satan's headquarters is under the earth in, in the darkness on the pit of hell. No, that's a lie. It's not so. That's not his headquarters. It says it right there. He says that he was going to and fro where? Over the earth. He has got no resting place right now. We know where he's going to end up. We know that, don't we? But he's not there yet. You see, if he was in hell right now, the problems on the earth would have been, there wouldn't have been any problems. This notion of there's this open door between Hades where the dead is and, and, and the air that, you know, spirits can go through. And that's, that's not in the Bible. I don't know who told you that, but it's not there. And let me show this to you. He's talked about him as the prince of the power of the air. Have you heard that? He's the prince of the power of the air. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2 he says, Wherein the time passed he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Who's that? That's Satan. And he's the power of the air. The spirit that works in the children of disobedience. What air is he talking about? Remember when I started saying there's three heavens? Three heavens? The first heaven is this heaven from, this is ground level up in two. Where the clouds stop, that is the air that he's talking about there. So he roams in this dimension, from the earth up into the first heaven. 
He doesn't roam. The only way that he roams beyond that is when he appears before God to do what? To give an account. He can't go up in heaven and go in there and say, now I've got a lot of demons up here in heaven and now I'm going to cast them down to earth over there. No, listen people, we're giving Satan power which he hasn't got. The only reason that I read in the Bible that he appeared before God is to give an account. And we're going to see as well to slander, to accuse you and me before God. And then, he only operates in this space. He says it right there. He says going to and fro. So he, you, you know, while we've got day, the other place on the other side of the earth has got night. And he roams around there as well. And when we've got night, when the bad things often happens, he's over on this side. And he roams with, with the principalities of powers. That's what he says in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against the spiritual wickedness in high places. So if somebody tells you his headquarters is down in hell and he goes up and down, it's not in the Bible. And if you do, please, if you find the verses, come and show me. I'll repent from this pulpit and I'll correct it. But I've searched. The only time that we find him in hell is where? It's in Revelation chapter 9. Revelation chapter 9. Or, or the, oh, no, no, the only place, let me correct myself, the only place that we see that demon spirits will be released from under the earth is in Revelation chapter 9. It reads this, And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power and scorpions of the earth, and have power. That's the only time I read that there was a pit open. There was a key that opened up this bottomless pit from beneath, and these demon spirits will come out. But friend, don't fret about it. Don't, whoa, what's going to happen to us? No. If you're a child of God, you won't be on this earth to experience that. I've already preached that message. It's on the web. And then we read about Satan later on. At the end, what's going to happen? He's going to be thrown into the lake of fire. But he's not there yet. There's nobody in the lake of fire right now. He's going to be there. And the saddest thing about the lake of fire, it was never made for man. But there will be people in there will be casted into the lake of fire. You think it's a serious message? Absolutely. So now we still read the behind the scenes. We see that he came and the Lord asked him, he says, where were you? He said, I went to and fro. And then in verse 8, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, and one who fears God and shuns evil? You see, the Lord brought up Job's name. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear you for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him? Haven't you protected him around his household, around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hand, and the possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you in your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. You see? delegated authority. He couldn't do it before the Lord said you can do it. Only do not lay your hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. We learn interesting messages here, friends. Satan can do nothing to you if God doesn't allow it. Nothing. He hasn't got the power. He hasn't. You say, but wait a minute, what about those people who go through these difficult things? I... First of all, I ask, you know, are they children of God? They could be a, a good man. They can give away all of their possessions in this world and everything. They go through exactly the same things other people go. But here we see, I showed you, at this point in time, Job didn't know God. But he sacrificed to God. He offered to God. And you know what God did? He protected him. He protected him. The protection of God. You see, Satan couldn't touch him. And now this is the confidence that we need to have in the Lord. You and I, in Deuteronomy chapter 20 verse 4, he says, For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. 
You might be sitting here this morning and you say, I've got so many people against me. You know what? Put your faith in God and allow Him to go before you to fight your enemies. You remember when the Egyptians came and the Israelites was there against the Red Sea? You remember what happened? They were fretting out. What are we going to do? We're going to die here. And you know what Moses said to them? Stand still, for you will see today how the Lord will deliver you. In Psalm 17 verse 7, he says, Show your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand. You who save those who trust in you from those who rise up against them. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings. Psalm 34, 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. How many? All. Job was protected, but here we see a thing that he couldn't control. The Lord allowed this to happen. But you see that the Lord didn't touch him. He said it to him there. He said, you did all of these things. He says, look at verse, seven, verse 11. He says, but now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has. So Lucifer is not, Satan is not dumb. He says, Lord, you touch him. You touch him. What did the Lord say? He says, and possess an increase in land, that he will surely curse you in face. And the Lord said to him, Behold, all that he has is in your hands. Why? Because let me read to you in James. You see, a lot of people say the Lord does this. No, the Lord allows it. He allows it. In James, let me, it's not on the board, but I want to open it. It just came up in my mind. I need to uh, cover the scripture off for you. Uh, James chapter 1. If you want to follow there. Uh, but I think I'm going to beat you there. He says there in, uh, he says in James chapter uh, 1 verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he has been approved he will receive the crown of life. Which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now listen to this now. Listen to this. Remember Satan said Lord you touch him and, and the Lord said No. You've got permission. Go and do. Now listen to this. Uh, James chapter 1 verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. This is tests. So this says that the Lord's not going to lift his hand up against you. The only place where I find the Lord lifts his hands up is where? When the wrath of the Lord comes at the end. And you don't want to stand in the wrath of God. So we see this now. Now let's go on. We see now, Job couldn't control it. That was in the heavenlies. Now we see the scene on the earth again after that happened. In verse 13, now there was in the day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Sabaeans raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servant with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another one also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, you wouldn't believe this, would you? Talk about having a bad day. This is the third in a row. I mean, one gives him the bad news. Just put yourself in his feet. One gives the bad news. There's another one coming in. While he's still speaking, there's a knock on the door and, and this man rushes in. While he was still speaking, uh, another also came and said, the Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels and took them away. Yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, believe it or not, another one also came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house, and suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness, struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead. And I alone escaped to tell you. That's terrible. You know what the world would say? Bad luck. That is terrible bad luck. But you know the world don't know. They ain't know nothing. You know what Job will say? We're going to see it in a minute. It's terrible. Let me tell you, I, I can't think, after I've read this, 
in my short span that I lived on this earth and in the history books, that somebody had, had this happen to them in one day. In one day. This is terrible. Now we're going to see the reaction of this man. You see, he says, Then Job arose, tore his rope, shaved his head, and fell to the ground and worshipped. What? He worshipped. I thought he would have wailed. He worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job did not sin and charge God with wrong. This is his reaction in a tragic circumstance. I must say, man, wow. I can't even think if I was in his shoes how I would have reacted. I can't even think about that. How in the world? His faith wasn't, was shaken. His faith was definitely shaken, but he wasn't destroyed. He worshipped God. He continued on. We go back to heaven now. Job chapter 2 verse 1, he says, Again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before God, and Satan also came amongst them to present himself to the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered and said, From going to and fro from the earth and from walking back and forth. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil, and still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause so what did the Lord say he says look at him his integrity stayed and let me just throw in one thing before I forget you see that he used the Sabaeans and the Chaldeans previously to bring destruction upon them they were not God fearing people they were not the Chaldeans and the Sabaeans you see but Satan would use the sons of disobedience to inflict harm upon the children of God. He, he still uses it today. He uses the world to come down upon the children of God. And here we find, he says, look, he stood, you did what you wanted to do, can't you see now? But Satan is not finished. He says in verse 4, so Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you in your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he's in your hand, but spare his life. You see, there was an ancient culture. Skin for skin was meaning that you trade one skin for another skin. So people would come and they will take the sheep skin or the cow skin, and they will trade it for a life, or they will trade it. This was what he was saying. <clears throat> he was accusing Job of saying, Job was so worried about his own life that he would skin his own children. This is, this is the phrase he uses. He will skin, his, he will take the skin of his own children and offer that skin of his ten children for his own life. Which means that he's actually a hypocrite, but not integrity, a person of integrity. This, is what, this was the accusation when he says skin to skin. And he would take the skins of all of his animals and the servants who died and he will give all of that just for Job to be alive. Was this the case? No. We know it wasn't the case. So the Lord said, well, if you want to go one step further, touch him. You see, again, it was outside of Job's control. And now we see Job's pain. <clears throat> so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with a painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Can you imagine this? This man who tore his, his clothes, who shaved his head, who's lost everything. And now he's got these boils from, you know, you don't know where. where it's so itchy. It's so, I don't want to go into the fine detail of what it could be. And he took for himself a potchet with which he scraped himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. Ashes again in that times, if they felt they sinned against God, they had sackcloth and ashes. They would go and sit in ashes. There was a sign of humility. Then his wife said to him, this is interesting, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. 
But he said to her, You speak as one of a foolish woman speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? All of this job did not sin with his lips. Now, you know, I've heard so many things about Job's wife, how bad she was by saying this. But do we truly understand Job's wife? Think for yourself. We read about this man. But then we read about his wife here. And I know, I know what I've seen with my life. There's an emotional attachment between a mother and their children, isn't there? So while all of this happened to Job, to whom did it also happen? To his wife. We see what Job did. He shaved his head, he tore his clothes. But what did she do? She was also in agony. I'm not trying to make excuses for her, but I want to give you the reason why I believe she said these words. She also has lost every single thing that Job has lost. And the only one that she had to hang on now to was whom? Was Job. So in a way he was strong. In a way he came out of that. In a way he still, he still feared God. He still worshipped God. But then this happens now to the man. So I want to bring a different perspective on her now. I reckon she comes to him and says, why don't you just curse God and die? And you know what? She'll be all on her own. I'll be all on my own. I've lost everything. It's gone. That's what it means, by the way. It's gone. It's all gone. I've lost everything. Yes, he comes to him. She says, curse God. Oh, but in the background, dear brother and sister, is that accuser just standing back there in the shadow. And he goes, come on, prompt him on. Who am I talking about? Devil, Satan. You see, so often we come into situations, dear friends, where, and we will see it going forward as we're going to see his friends arrive. We come into these situations and it feels as this is the last hour, the darkest hour. Everybody say curse. But there in the shadow, there at the back stands him, the accuser. And what does he say? He says curse. Because for him, for him, he wanted to show God wrong, wasn't it? <clears throat> for him, it was a game. For him, it was a challenge. God said, touch his livelihood, and he did. God said, touch his body, and he did. But did God curse God? A Job curse God? No. And we need to understand from this. <coughs> Sometimes we see in this world, but there is a spiritual world, and the accuser is standing there, and he's firing it on. He's behind fights. He's behind, and the only outcome that he wants in all of that is that you curse God. That is where he wants you to, to take you, through all of that. To the point where you can show your fist in the heaven and curse God. Did it happen to Job? No, he didn't. So there's the first lesson from Job. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Father, we look at this man, Job. I read this... I see what's going on in his life. I understand now. It's easy for us to see it now, Lord. We read it in a book, in the Bible. This man actually lived it. I look at that, and I say, how oh, terrible it was, Lord. Father, but then you used his life to teach us. 